This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome along to the latest Liverpool Echo Blood Red podcast. Paul Gauls, David Lynch and Rich Garnett all along myself. Alongside myself, Matt Addison, for today's show, we're going to talk to Bellingham, Jordan Henderson, FSG's potential takeover and the trip to Dubai across the next half an hour or so. Plenty to get stuck into with around two and a half weeks, I think it is, until the Reds are back in action against Manchester City. Lynch, I want to start, though, with the story that you wrote over the weekend. The FSG takeover story is going on, of course, at the moment. And seemingly some interest from Saudi Arabia and Qatar, certainly an interesting one. What's your understanding of that? And, and for anyone who, who hasn't read the story yet, what what is the, the latest? Yeah, so, uh, you know, still early days in this takeover process and a lot of interest out there. But it was just, um, yeah, I've been told that, you know, one of the one of the parties that's sort of leading the interest is a is a joint consortium of, of Saudi and Qatari investors, um, which you know I, I wrote this in the story, but would have been sort of unthinkable a couple of years ago, given the diplomatic relations between those two countries. But things have sort of thawed considerably um, in the last couple of years or so. Um, you know, we've we've seen the, the two rulers of those two countries, in fact, sat sat near each other at a, at a game at this World Cup and. Things are looking a lot brighter, and, and and that's opened up the possibility of these these two companies from from those countries, you know, pairing up to to put in a bid for Liverpool. Um, you know, the the initial bids they're thinking around three point two billion is 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 they're hoping to 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 lodge to FSG, and yeah, an interesting one because obviously you know that that that's a bid that's going to come with a with a lot of wealth behind it, and the fact that they've they've paired up because they didn't want to you know be the two richest sides of a of a bidding war um, and and allow the price to get out of control is an interesting one um, and, and yeah as, as i say sort of not something you could have envisioned a couple of years ago given how the, the the two countries were sort of in a a bit of a standoff but yes things have completely changed and maybe liverpool is part of a, a sort of a strategy of of being an olive branch almost and and these two coming together to to buy the club yeah, certainly interesting, isn't it, Gorsty, in terms of, of these developments and, and lots of, of different stories. We had the, the Boston Globe last week suggesting that maybe there might be a bit of a, a leaning towards a, a partial sale, lots of, of options on the table. I mean, is is there a preferred option from your perspective, do you think? Is is there a better or a, or a worse way of doing this? Or is it just a case of it, it kind of depends which offers come to the table in, in terms of, of how it kind of falls? Yeah, I was reading Lynch's story yesterday, and I found it fascinating, really, that in terms of um, they are they are from the private sector, but will inevitably have links to the state, and that's a little bit of a thorny issue, isn't it? Where Liverpool would be concerned, I think. I think if, if it was if it was to be the you know the kind of public investment fund in a similar way to Newcastle, I think I think that'd be difficult to push through as a kind of new owner of Liverpool FC. I think Liverpool's you know LFC supporters board, which is um, Pretty much, um, I wouldn't say revolutionary, but certainly kind of leading the way in this field in terms of um, communicating with different fan groups and whatever else. That has, has only just been established, hadn't it? And that'd face a real test of its of its metal with that to happen. But the fact that it's it's um, you know private, there's that open <clears throat> or kind of close those questions off. It, it, it's difficult to to assess certainly at this stage. But um, I think um, the it, it, I suppose it would be a case of assessing the lay of the land and, and seeing what what's on the table for, for Mike Gordon and, and the rest of FSG. Um, I would still personally have the belief that <clears throat> the, the the best way of kind of getting a change of ownership, if you like, would be a similar kind of FSG 
American conglomerate who are a little bit more committed to spending at certain certain junctures. Um, I don't think that Liverpool need too much kind of fiction, if you like. It's just just that key detail, isn't it, where they need a, a top class player in certain areas, and at times the ownership of um, kept the powder dry and, and maybe one or two things have gotten away from Liverpool. But other than that, everything else is kind of ideally set up. You could see why Liverpool would be a massive, <clears throat> massive um, kind of, you know, carrot for business, you know, some of the richest business people across the world. When you, when you think of, they've got a brand new stadium on the, well, brand new stand to take the stadium up to 61,000. The training ground's only two years old. Um, the playing squad generally is still, of, a, of an elite level, isn't it? So uh, everything, I'd say, is in place for Liverpool to kind of kick on and and take that next level and and you know be able to compete for the best players on the market. Um, so I don't think I don't think there's a whole lot needed really in terms of you know would be owners coming in. They don't need to change a whole lot. It's just a case from my perspective anyway. Just maybe a little bit more investment at, at, at key key uh, key areas, key times, I guess. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you. I think it would seem the, the best way of, of doing things. And I think that's something that we, we spoke about, Rich, last week in, in terms of, of how it all falls and, and how it, it comes into being. There's obviously still a long way to, to go before we know exactly how it's going to look. But that would seem to be, I suppose, the, the way with, with least risk, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, and I'm, I'm very much risk averse in this situation, to be honest with you. I wrote, I wrote a piece over the weekend, which... I'd have to say wasn't universally greeted, um, but my my own personal preference is to actually keep FSG as the owners of the club, but invite uh, an investment arm uh, and and just you know pump pump money in for, for transfers, but 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 leave uh, an organisation that's as far as I'm concerned developed the club as well as anyone else over the last 12 years in position to do that, as long as they've still got the appetite and desire to do that. Uh, and I'm, and, I, and unless, unless someone can tell me other, otherwise, I, I've not seen much evidence to suggest that they, they just basically had enough and want rid of it. It, it doesn't appear to be like that, but uh, could be wrong. But um, for me personally, I've just, I just, I, I just still, I still think about the whole situation with Hicks and Gillette and, and, and how we went from, you know, the Moores family selling to unknown businessmen to most people connected to Liverpool. And if they, no one knows how it would have turned out if they'd gone down the Dubai route or whatnot, could have been better, could have been worse. We'll never know. But all I do know is that uncertainty put Liverpool in a very perilous position, which could have worked out significantly worse than it did. In, in the end, they kind of got away with it and, built the club back to what it is today and, and, and have gone on a period of of pretty much sustained success, certainly in the last sort of five or six years, which would have been even greater if not for Manchester City. And that that's the only reason surely Liverpool need any more investment is because of your Manchester Cities and, and, and the emerging emerging force like Newcastle, who, who we know are gonna uh, are gonna be a force to reckon with uh, if they're not already uh, in the very, very near future. So, bet the devil, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I, I, I also am mindful that a lot of people don't share that opinion and uh, would rather see uh, some someone come in and just take the whole thing over and 
bring in Kylian Mbappe and everyone else. Is there a, a more sort of likely option at the minute, Lynch? Is it fair to say that all options are, are still on the, the table and it's a case of, of assessing it? Or what's kind of your assessment of it at this point? Uh, in terms of sort of whether it will be a partial investment or a, a full takeover, I, I think from people I've spoken to, it, it very much sounds like a, the full takeover is the preferred route that FSG want to go down. And to be honest, I think you can see that. I know, you know, in the initial reaction to the story, FSG sort of held that position and they have done since we've seen in the Boston Globe that people close to FSG are saying, oh, we're still looking for that partial investment. That's still an option on the table um, and we would prefer it. But to me, that it just smells of a, a sort of a bargaining position, really. And I, and everyone I've spoke to is sort of close to the sales process or the, the process that's ongoing around it suggests that full sale is, is 100% the preferred option. I think you can also see that in, in that Mike Gordon stepping back from day-to-day duties at Liverpool Football Club. That, that's not a step you would take unless you were looking for a full sale, you know, because he's been such an influential figure at Liverpool. So to take him out of the mix suddenly and to focus fully on this, that doesn't seem to me like he's just looking for an external investment in the club. I, I think the full sale is, is where FSG want to go to because I think they want to, they've reached the point where they, they think they want to realise their investment, that they want to make the money back. They want to, well, they'll make more than just the money back, but they, they, they're ready to sort of realise this investment now and, and look elsewhere, and there's, there's there's opportunities for them to do that as well because the interest is already huge. Obviously, in, in the piece I wrote yesterday, I'd, it wasn't just the Saudi Qatari interest, but there's you know American investors, there's German investors. I've also, and I didn't put this in the piece, but I've also heard about uh, interest from Dubai as well. I'm not sure how far along that is, or just how credible that is in comparison, which is why I didn't use it. But it is something I've been spoken to about as well. So I think you know, I think the options are going to be there for them to cash out, and I just I just can't see how. They're going to suddenly go down the route of of just an investment, and that, I also don't see how that massively appeals to to anyone who would possibly put the money in either. To okay, yeah, you'll throw all this money and we'll spend it on transfers, and then you'll own twenty percent of the club. I just don't think that's massively appealing when you know, particularly when you think about the wealth that's involved in some of the, when they could just buy the club outright. I think that that will certainly appeal appeal more just because of the the prestige of Liverpool Football Club, but also the pr- possibility of much further down the line is is making more money on it as the TV deals go up, etc. That that might be more of a long term aim, given the the sort of financial up and down that's probably ahead for, for across the globe. But I think you know that that will be the long term aim for anyone who's coming in. So I just I think that will appeal a lot more than than coming in as just a partial investment. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. And I suppose, of course, the, the, the options are, are all on the table. They're, they're going to look at, at all of these things and, and work out which is best. It's it's not going to be a quick process, is it? It's going to be one that, that takes a little while and they will come to, to what's best for, for them and for the club moving forward. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think uh, they're under any pressure to sell Ardy. It's not like a Chelsea thing where it had to be kind of expedited because there were government sanctions based on, on Chelsea's own. FSG very much comfortable in, in assessing the lay of the land Obviously, I think the critical point of all this is Mike Gordon stepping away from this kind of day-to-day running of Liverpool from Boston and instead focusing on, on what's on the table with Goldman Sachs and, and uh, Morgan Stanley instructed as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see who else comes forward. Obviously, we've had the Lynchy story with the, the Saudi, uh, Saudi Qatari kind of amalgamation, which would just be incredible, really, wouldn't it, if that, if that came to pass when you think um, they've already got Newcastle um, and PSG, is it? But to own a, a club like Liverpool would, would just be, you know, incredible for for those respective states. Even if they are kind of, you know, public owners, uh, sorry, private owners, 
Um, I'm sure there's going to be more coming forward. I imagine there'll be plenty of interest from uh, from the American side of things. It certainly was when when Chelsea were up for, for you know up for grabs, what six to eight months ago or so. So with yeah, it's just going to be a case of um, seeing what what happens next. And um, I suppose the annoying thing of all of this is the likes of us haven't had a chance to get in front of Jurgen Klopp and perhaps maybe ask for one or two updates because um, obviously they've been away for three weeks and whatever else. So maybe we might um, might be able to hear a little bit more from him whilst they're out in Dubai and see if there's anything further to uh, to be added from the manager himself. Yeah, absolutely. We'll come on to the uh, Dubai trip in a few minutes' time. I'll stick with you, though, because, of course, any new investment, I'm sure people listening to the show will be thinking, well, who can we buy with those new funds? Who can all the shiny new players be and all that sort of thing? There's a lot more to it, of course, than that. But uh, I'm sure anyone who watched Jude Bellingham last night would have been very, very excited again, Gorsty. Jordan Henderson and Jude Bellingham after the match, exciting for Liverpool fans as well. There's clearly you know, a real bond there. It, it will play into wherever he goes next, I'm sure, as well. Yeah, it's difficult to know, isn't it, how much those relationships, those friendships have on, on a player's, you know, when he's weighing up his, his next destination. There's, you know, there's no no denying that he is now quite good friends with, with Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and I've seen something about his relationship with Henderson couple of days ago where Henderson very much kind of protective over him and sees the uh, the ability and the talent and the age um, and the fact that he's still got so far to go in the game and has kind of taken him under his wing um, and Liverpool fans perhaps putting two and two together and coming up with a number that it certainly isn't for but it's uh, it's interesting isn't it? it's just something for for fans to, uh, to kind of keep watch on and, and see see uh, how it develops. I just think Belling was just an absolutely un- unbelievable talent. He just seems to have everything in his locker that you want for a centre midfielder. And, and I thought it was interesting listening to Phil Foden last night after the game when he said, um, I don't want a big Jude Bellingham up, but he's going to be the best midfielder in the world. And I thought, well, if that's not big enough, yeah. then, you know, what what is? Um, but he, he was he was brilliant last night, wasn't he? Certainly for, for both goals when he kind of took, took the ball in stride. Comfortable off either foot, he's great at going forward. He does the dirty work at the back, works so hard. Great passing range, so athletic, box to box. Um, it's just a shame that there's going to be a, a lot of competition for him, I guess. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Just can I just come in on this because I, yeah. I know on this podcast in the past I've, I've been incredibly cynical about the prospects of, of Liverpool getting Jude Bellingham. Just on the basis that I think you know Man City and Real Madrid are so appealing in terms of what they can pay, but also just as sporting projects, you know why wouldn't you go there? Great managers, great teams, you know, guaranteed to challenge for honours. The more I see of this relationship with Jordan Henderson, the more I'm sort of like coming round to the idea that you know maybe maybe that is a big influence on on what he wants. You know, maybe having players there who really gets on with it, it could really appeal to him, and I think. You know, it comes around to the idea as well that Liverpool have very much got a place in the team ready for him, um, which other teams might not be able to sort of give. So, it, you know, the more, the more you see of that, the more you just think, you know, maybe that there is really something in that, and maybe you know, maybe he could snub the the greater wages and 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 you know the the appeal of Real Madrid and Man City at this moment to just think that Liverpool will be a really good next step for him in his career. And and we we heard didn't we of the. Borussia Dortmund chief about the the idea that you know they won't be doing at Liverpool any favors, but that is their favorite club. So you know this all adds up to make you think. You know I, I've sort of warmed into the idea that maybe he he could choose it, and that it could choose Liverpool now. And I think they'd certainly have to get in the top four to make that happen. But it, I, I feel a, a lot more sort of 
I've warmed to the idea a lot more over the last couple of weeks seeing him than the way he is around Jordan Henderson and Trent Alexander-Arnold and the way I felt about it before. It's, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Yeah, there's still a long way to, to go before you know Liverpool were, were to get him or, or anything like that. But I think for, for me, Rich, the, the other big thing is obviously Liverpool didn't go and, and buy a midfielder in the summer. As soon as they did that, it, it kind of felt to me like maybe they were were confident of, of getting someone in in future. Duke Bellingham being the obvious name. And like Gorsty says, he's just got, got everything you want, hasn't he? He's only 19, but he certainly doesn't look like it. Well, I certainly hope Liverpool signed Jude Bellingham. Otherwise, I'm going to have to delete about nine months' worth of Echo content, uh, which features his name consistently in it. I'm not sure what I'll do if he doesn't sign, to be honest. I think of something else, maybe. But, uh, yeah, you raise a, an important point, um, Matt, because obviously Liverpool didn't sign the big midfielder that they, it, it, they now kind of evidently need um, in the summer. That, that never came to fruition and... You know the talk was they're going to hold, hold their uh, hold the nerve and try and get get Bellingham next summer, uh, and, and I guess that will be that if if that is the case as as we see it that will be based on the uh, the budgeting in place by the current owners, and will will that change if there's a, a change of owners and and if it doesn't, will, can that plan still be put into fruition? I get I, I guess. With the money that's effectively been saved uh, in this summer's transfer window, hopefully that's still the case, providing that his his value doesn't shoot. Well, it's already astronomical, but shoot shoot to something that's uh, that's beyond the reach of Liverpool's current resources. But in ter- in terms of what he could bring to uh, Liverpool's midfield, he, well, he, he's got the lot, hasn't he? But and the thing that keeps coming back is you try not to get too carried away with a player because I, th- I think I said. If, like uh, a couple of months back, it feels like a bit dangerous putting all, all your eggs in one basket with Bellingham. Is everyone's everything's being pinned on this super midfielder? What if he got to, gets injured after a week and you've spent 150 million pounds on this this savior of your midfield? But it, it, that sort of argument isn't really helped when you've got his own England teammates basically saying he's the best things in sliced bread. People like. Gary Neville and Rio Ferdinand going out of the way to lavish praise on him constantly. Um, and it, if, if we're trying to keep Jude Bellingham grounded, then we're not doing a very good job of it, are we? Because he's, he is reaching Gaza sensation levels now. Thankfully, his uh, appetite for visiting the boozer seems to be uh, quite dulled compared to Paul's, but uh, which is probably uh, in the modern game is, is a good thing. Um, but yeah, he, he is... There's so much focus on him now, and it's and it's only been amplified by how well he's playing out in in, in Qatar. Um, but he just showed, demonstrated it again, didn't he? Last night, just bursting forward. And and a key thing I picked on, I think it was uh, Gary Neville said, was his mate. He's not just got all that talent; he's making those right decisions, isn't he? You look at someone on like on Liverpool's books now. Say for for example, Harvey Elliott, a brilliant footballer, only slightly, uh, or is he the same age as? Um, as Bellingham or there or thereabouts, great player who's, who's worked really hard in, in in a struggling sort of Liverpool midfield. Is sometimes he hasn't quite made the right decisions at key moments. I think of not being able to affect games uh, as well as he as he may do in the future. Whereas Bellingham appears to be doing that now, sort of showing showing that maturity beyond his years. And, and I suppose that just adds another thing into his toolbox, doesn't it? Which is which is making him so appealing to so so many different sides. 
Um, it, there's no question he would improve Liverpool's midfield. No, no, no question about it. And what what players you have around that with him probably comes a bit easier. Where at the moment you're looking at Liverpool's midfield and you think, oh, you've you've got to have Thiago in, or you've got to have uh, Fabinho in for balance, even though he hasn't been playing that well. Well, if you bring Bellinger into that picture, maybe that your options open up not just in terms of having a better midfielder, but just who who you can play in and around him. Uh, and still be as effective uh, and, and not lose anything on your opponents. So, yeah, he, he's, an, he's the player of the moment, isn't he? He's, he's right up there with Mbappe, really, at, at this World Cup as the, as the ones to watch. And it's exciting to see where it will take him. And hopefully it's at Anfield and I can continue on writing about you, Belling. Yeah, it's almost like having three players in one, isn't it, with him? He's just so, so good at, at so many different parts of the game, exactly what Liverpool need. But wasn't the only one, Lynchy, as well. I wanted a quick word on, on Jordan Henderson's performance, obviously, that we've spoken about him in relation to Jude Bellingham, but it would be wrong not to mention his performance as well. I know he's got his critics, he's even got his critics somehow still at Liverpool as well, but but for England last night, he was superb and obviously set them on the way with a goal as well. Yeah, I think every time he's been on on the pitch for England in this tournament, he's made a, he's made a positive impact, and I, I just think he's he's got the lot. I I really kind of like the, the you know it adds into the the idea of Jude Bellingham might sign for Liverpool, but the the um, his post match interview where he spoke about Henderson and spoke about you know can't understand the stick he gets. He's he's so he's got so much quality. This or that. Um, it, it's kind of nice to see that you know the players around him who train with him every day and play with him appreciate that how good of a player he is and, and how good of a career he's had so far. And yeah, you know, he's, I'm saying the career so far, he's still he's still got a big impact that he can make, and he, he can for England. We we we, we saw that. I, I just think I, I can't see Gareth Southgate taking him out of the, the first choice eleven now for the remainder of this tournament because he he has to be in there. I think he just gives you such balance and also what he what he brings in terms of. The demands around other players he's you know he's, he's not got the captain's armband on but you can hear him constantly in the games i mean it helps that the atmosphere in in, in some of the games hasn't been unbelievable so you, but you can hear jordan henderson constantly um you know chattering away to to other players and, and telling when when they need to get close to the ball at when they need to press he's just he's just got that and and, and loads of quality on the ball you know the, the the legs to get across the pitch so he's yeah a, a vital player for england in this tournament and i think i, I think for liverpool you know you, the one thing I would say is I think there has been a dip in terms of over the last sort of maybe 12 months or so in his game. And I, I think that's inevitable as he ages, the amount of work he's put in his career, amount of running around he's done, amount of space he's covered. That is inevitable, but he's still going to be a, a very, very handy player to have in the squad um, going forward. And, and they've got him contracted for a while. And I think, you know, you bring someone like Jude Bellingham in. Yes, OK, he probably comes straight into your first choice midfield, but you need players like Henderson to, to play you know, to pick up an awful lot of games in the same way that, that James Milner, you know, maybe picks up that sort of role and, and, you know, he's still playing an awful lot of games, still massively influential around the place, but he maybe play less, you know, less frequently than he, than he does at the moment. And he, he's still got a lot of, a lot of good football left in him, you know, possibly a World Cup win ahead um, and, and then come back to Liverpool where he, yeah, it'd be, it'd be equally vital to the end of the season. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm sure part of, of the dip over the last sort of 12, 18 months is because he's just played so much football in that period as well. So, of course, if you've got a player like Jude Bellingham to come into the mix as well, that will sort of have that knock-on effect on those around him as well. I'm sure Jordan Henderson will be in the England team again on Saturday, Gorsty. But by Saturday, you'll be in Dubai with the Liverpool team. I'm sure you're very much looking forward to that trip. 
Yes, uh, so a fly on Friday morning. I think Liverpool will go today, actually. Um, they've just announced the um, the squad that's going there whilst we've been recording this podcast. Um, no real shocks in there, I guess. They're taking five keepers, which a little bit of a surprise. Marcelo Pitaluga's in there after his loan at, uh, was it Mathersfield, was it? Um, <clears throat> I suppose a little bit of an interesting one is the fact that Arthur Mello's going. Um, obviously, he had surgery on his tie in uh, October, I think, and not too many expecting him to be back, well, until probably February time, but obviously a chance for him to build up his fitness. We'll see if he can still play any sort of part in the Liverpool season. It'd be a bonus, wouldn't it, really? Naby Keita's in there, Joel Matip, uh, obviously Lewis Diaz, three players you'll be looking to <clears throat> make a little bit of an impact out there. Uh, kind of <clears throat> kickstart their season, particularly Keita, who you know, hasn't played since the Community Shield way back in, in July. Uh, really has been a frustrating season for him. And also a chance for one or two of the young lads to impress as well. Uh, Fraundorf, Leighton Stewart, um, Jake Kane, Dom Cornes, and Ben Doak, who seems to be the um, the, the big one coming through at the moment. So, yeah, it's uh, we'll, we'll see, see how Liverpool go. They've obviously got <clears throat> Leon and AC Milad in the friendlies and, and a chance to, to really, um, you know, put the first half of the season behind them. It was, a, let's face it, a disappointing one, was it, given they found, they found themselves as so far behind the top four. Um, recorded one or two sizable wins, you know, Man City sat them away, but really it was a disappointing three months, wasn't it? Um, so they're going to need a, a massive, massive push in the second half of the season. I think they're going to need to do quite a fair bit of work in January as well, if I'm honest. But um, <clears throat> a chance to um, to kind of, you know, do pre-season in the midway period, if that makes sense, and really put in the hard yards and then... Um, fly off the traps when uh, the Premier League returns on Boxing Day at Aston Villa. Yeah, I think a, a second pre-season, Rich, is probably the, the right way to look at it, isn't it? It's going to be interesting to see kind of what they do, what they look like in these couple of games, because you know, we see them in the summer, the, the friendlies are not particularly intense, but they might be a lot more intense because it's obviously the middle of the season, they'll all be pretty much at 100% fitness. It's going to be interesting to see what the next sort of 12 days looks like for this Liverpool squad. Yeah, well, the, the first preseason wasn't very good, was it really? I think we've kind of come to that conclusion. So, uh, as as it's turned out, no one really wants a, a World Cup in the middle of a season in the winter. But it, as things have panned out, it has it has benefited Liverpool, I think, and I'm fairly confident we'll we'll see evidence of that um, come the end of the season. But it, it is an opportunity to get out in a bit of warm weather and get get the team together and and, and get them quickly back up to up to pace um you don't if, if just just going back on henderson if henderson had gone to that world cup and just sat on the bench and not done anything it just would have been so uh counterproductive for it wasn't he you might not want him playing every minute of every game but he's certainly someone you want to keep fresh and ticking over because he's going to be key for liverpool in the second half of this season and, and at least he's been if maybe that's not been the case for trent but at least he's been able to get uh get the minutes in as, as well as performing so well as he has but but for the others that haven't gone this is a great opportunity isn't it to to uh remind the manager of why they should be picking them um and, and start working on a plan to climb this league table and um i i just don't know who liverpool would bring in in january at this moment um although uh, if this might be a separate question but i'd probably favor some sort of um um existing Premier League experience but they, they do need to try and do something to try and sort out this issue in midfield and and, and be able to 
compete against other teams that seem to be outrunning them on a consistent basis um, and, and and coming up with a plan for doing that. And whether that's just been better at keeping the ball on, I, I don't know. I'll leave, that, I'll leave that to Jürgen Klopp. He's the expert, not me. But yeah, it'd be interesting. It'd be good to see them back out on the pitch, playing a couple of games. And, and before you know it, um, we'll be at Manchester City uh, for, for the Carabao Cup. And, and I think that starts a run of uh, quite a few games in a very short space of time, which is only set to continue. So uh, if Liverpool weren't ready um, at the start of the season, they certainly need to be ready this time around. Yeah, it is nice to have a little break from Liverpool matches, but it does mean that there's just going to be even more matches piled into an even shorter period of time in the second half of the season. So, hey, you win some, you lose some. In terms of the sort of individuals, Lynch, you've got obviously Luis Diaz coming back. Naby Keita appears to, to be there and, and, and is fit. So, it's probably quite an important spell for, for those two, probably important for a few other players as well. It does really feel like a, a reset point in this season. Yeah, and they needed it because of the way this, the season started and, and the position they're in. You know, it's, it's you know if you're going to have a season where you have that reset in the middle, this is not a bad one to have it. And I think, yeah, in terms of the individuals coming back, I just think it's a massive boost because, you know, one of the big problems they've had in the start of the season um, has been that, you know, injuries have ended up causing further injuries because, you know, the inability to rotate, you've been pushing players a little bit too far, much further than you want to. And then all of a sudden more injuries pop up and it's just sort of a vicious cycle that, that Liverpool didn't seem to be able to get out of. So you hope that just having that break now and, and, and players getting back to fitness, that it'll give Klopp more options to rotate. And, and if he does that, then it will, you know, it will keep, players fit for longer and then he can you know he can rotate through difficult patches of games and, and hopefully that just helps the, the form in general really because Liverpool they definitely need that um you know there's some players there you know I think about Keita okay we, we we sort of regularly dismiss him don't we as, as injury prone but he played a massive part last season in in Liverpool going close to four trophies he was never really sort of in what you call the, the first choice team but he played an awful lot of games in a, in a team that won that won basically every week uh, for the entire season. So to just have figures like that around who are used to winning, they know what the job is when they come into the team. That's, you know, it's massively important. And you just hope that, yeah, having those rotational options and and, and basically a bigger squad for the second half of the season can really sort of help create some momentum in terms of the results. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what they've got to be sort of focusing and, and hoping for, isn't it, Gorsi? It's an important period. I mean, what, what do you think is, is going to be the main focus, really? Is it almost just get back to, to basics and, and do that? I can't imagine they're going to be trying too many new things in this period of time. Yeah, I think so. Um, more just, just to be a bit more Liverpool-like, because there were so many games in that first half of the season that, that were just very un-Liverpool-like, wasn't it? You know, when you think of, of kind of the second half of last season, certainly from April onwards, Liverpool were just in that, that momentum of winning games, weren't they? They were, they were playing some superb stuff and, and coasting through games and there were, crucially, there were no injuries, which, um, you know, what would the Aiden Club have, have given for that in the first three months of um, of this season when seemingly everyone was springing up with a, with a knock here or there? And I actually don't think someone like Jordan Henderson's been, been fifth for most of the season, given his character, has just decided to, to kind of play through it. So Liverpool have They've had problems almost everywhere, haven't they? And you, you'd almost forget that they've been without Jota and Diaz for... Well, Jota got injured against City, didn't he? And Diaz got injured against Arsenal. So certainly since October, those two have been out injured as well. And they haven't really had too much in the way of, of um, backup to, to Firmino, Nunes and Salah. Um, so I suppose getting Diaz fit will, will be a key one because... Um, 
he he was probably Liverpool's best outfield player before that injury, wasn't he? So if he can get him back to the, the levels that he's shown throughout his his fledging and Liverpool career, then that'll be a massive boost going into the second half of the season. Another option, a regular in in the first eleven when he's fit, isn't he? Uh, and then I suppose, uh, like Lindsay says, the great kind of Naby Naby Keita conundrum. He he hasn't kicked the ball all season, and um, it, it, you know he's heading into the final six months of his Liverpool contract. So if he's got his hands on on staying, then he's really got to got to do a tap, hasn't he, in the second half of the season and kick on from there. And uh, I, I think it, it, he's an interesting one. I also think it's a, it's a good chance for Ibrahim, excuse me, for Joel Matip to remind Klopp that. He was a first choice for most of last season. Canate's out at the World Cup impressing there, isn't he? So a chance for him to get back to fitness and, and remind all the you know, he's still a top centre back as well. So everywhere you look, there are, there are you know quite a few intriguing subplots in, in this Dubai trip. And uh, I don't think the friendlies will mean much, will they? But we'll we'll need to see a little bit more um than we would if it was a you know traditional pre-season friendly in, in a July or, or you know in August. Um, and uh, the Dubai Super Cup, I guess, is something for for the Reds to go go and win. It's uh, one thing missing off Klopp's CV. Yeah, Diaz is a, sorry, Matt. Diaz is a particularly interesting one because I think sort of you know you, you forget, don't we? That, that Liverpool sort of limped over the line with the front three towards the end, you know the pre World Cup period. They were they were playing Diaz out on the uh, Nunez, sorry, out on the left hand side, which is far from ideal. And, and to have Diaz back will bring. So much balance back into that team. I think obviously Liverpool settled back into that four-three-three. I think having him on the left-hand side, Nunez in the centre, and then and then Salah on the right. You know, I think maybe only played that a couple of times this season. So to give that front three sort of a, a little run of games to get to get sort of a an understanding together, and it looks on paper like what would be Liverpool's sort of best front three at the moment. Then that that's sort of really exciting to see how that develops now that he's back to full fitness. I think it's really exciting as well, Rich, just to see what they look like. One thing that we've kind of clung to up to this point is it'd be all right, they'll have a rest. Liverpool have got fewer players going to the World Cup than everyone else. I think it'll be really interesting just to keep an eye on when they do come back, how fresh are they, how sort of reset does it feel. We'll probably get an idea of that fairly quickly, I would have thought. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to find out who looks in better shape, those that actually went to the World Cup or those that didn't and have had to do a sort of a second pre-season. I suppose it's kind of new ground, isn't it, in a way? So um, the proof will be in the pudding on that. Um, Just, just, you mentioned Nunes there, um, Lynch, you know, just, just interested on that actually to see how he is when he comes back because he, he was just hitting his stride, wasn't he, for Liverpool before we had the break for the World Cup and then he's gone to Qatar and, and, if anything, I think he's kind of under-delivered a little bit um, at, at the World Cup. He didn't he, he didn't really pull up any trees, did he, when when others around him have, uh, have made names for themselves and, and he's kind of just disappeared disappeared back onto the plane home with, with, without much of making much of a dent in the tournament. So um how will that affect him? Will he will it will that you just park it for what it is and then and then just come back back and pick up where he left off with Liverpool just before he left for the World Cup. We'll we'll have to wait and see, don't we? It's another another test of his character. Um, but in the wider scheme of things, just having Diaz back and and uh, and, and other players that Liverpool were short of, it, it is going to give Jurgen Klopp more options, isn't it? And if things aren't working, he he will now have a plan B rather than having to 
hope to God that things work out with the with, with the plan that he sends teams out for in the first place. And um, <laughs> it's quite a brutal brutal game, isn't it? With the, the, the amount of fixtures that are coming up, and, and and you can consider them all fairly critical ones as well, can't you? Especially uh, for continuation in, in cup competitions and whatnot, there, there won't be too much margin for error. So yeah, hopefully. Hopefully uh, Nunes uh, comes back and it's the ground running and uh, keeps firing the goals in. Yeah, absolutely. A good few players that Liverpool could do with uh, finding some form, resetting and using this World Cup break as a bit of a reset point in the season. It'll certainly be interesting to see how they get on. But I think that will just about do us for today's podcast. All of the latest, of course, on all the bits that we've discussed across the Liverpool Echo, liverpool.com and Blood Red over the course of the next few weeks. Plenty of content from Gorsty, I'm sure, whilst he's in Dubai as well. So do keep an eye on that. For now, though, thanks a lot for listening. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.